0: When filling out a resume for a job, there are several parts to that resume that are extremely important to the employer. Now, all of the information on that resume should be somewhat important or there be no real reason to include it on the resume, but there are certain parts that are that are very important. Certain parts that are of greater importance to the employer. One, area, one, uh, one section, one part on the resume is uh, job experience. This is the section on the resume where you list your previous jobs and give a description of what those uh, former jobs entailed. And this is also where you tell how long you worked at any one particular job. This is uh, very important to the employer because they want to know if you have uh, been uh, if you have had a, a job or jobs in the past that are similar to the one that you are applying for, and they also want to see how long you worked at each job to get an idea of how devoted and uh, committed you might be as an employee. Another area of concern to the employer is education. Certain positions call for a certain level of education, so that's important. As Well, but one of the most important parts of a resume comes at the very end doesn't it? And what comes at the very end of that resume anybody know? Your references that's right. The references section of a resume is very important to employers. Am I right? because Though they want to hear from you about your experience and your job skills, it's also very important that they hear from someone else who knows you. And not just anybody, am I right? Not just any reference will do. It's important that you have good, credible people listed. I guarantee you that most employers don't care about near as much about what an old high school buddy has to say about you. As they do your previous employer and what's also helpful is when you have someone listed that your employer knows and trusts so in order to land a good job a good reference or two or three is key any employer will tell you that it's not wise to go into an interview and submit a resume without good credible references They'll tell you it's not wise to go in and stand on your own, on your own merit. So very important that you have someone else who is credible representing you. Believers, the same is true for us spiritually. Scripture is clear that we are not to try and stand before God on our own. Relying upon our own merit. Because though, with a job, even without good references, one might still possess certain skills and have certain noteworthy accomplishments that make him or her worthy of a hire, scripture is clear that we as people possess no desirable qualities whatsoever. We possess nothing in and of ourselves that makes us worthy of God's acceptance. Therefore, we need someone else to stand for us. We need someone credible, someone recognizable, someone accomplished, someone we know, and someone who knows us, someone who knows God, who will stand before him for us. Well, Scripture tells us who this certain someone is. If you have your Bibles, turned to John 17. John 17. Today we come to the end of this lengthy section within the book of John known as the Upper Room Discourse. And in today's chapter, we're going to be talking about knowing Jesus as priest. And during this section... Remember, we've talked about over the past few weeks during this section within the book of John, Jesus is with his disciples and he is preparing them and equipping them for what is to come. He's getting ready to leave them. He knows it's coming. So he spends this last evening with them, teaching them and showing them and preparing for them and exampling for them how they are to live as God's people. And chapter 17 is a very unique chapter within this section because this entire chapter is a prayer It's a prayer of Jesus In fact, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible and you'll notice in many of your Bibles It's referred to as the high priestly prayer. Does it say that in the title section of your Bible? Raise your hand if it says that yeah, yeah the high priestly prayer That's what many call it and the reason why it's called the high priestly prayer is because In this chapter, with this prayer, Jesus is functioning as priest for his disciples. In this section, we see Jesus going to God the Father, and what he's doing is he's praying to God on behalf of his disciples. And that's what a priest does, right? A priest is someone who goes to God on behalf of another. So what Jesus is doing here is he is going to God on behalf of his disciples and he's standing for them and representing them and he's praying to God on their behalf. So we're going to see here in this chapter this morning that Jesus acts as priest for his disciples. But we're also going to see here this morning that Jesus does not just function as priest for them, but he functions as priest for us. Believers, Jesus is our priest. He is our perfect priest. He is the one who goes to God for us and stands before God on our behalf. We're going to discuss what this means this morning to have Jesus function in this way for us and why we need it. So this morning, we're going to look at John 17... And I want to draw out several reasons why we need Jesus as priest for us. The first reason we need Jesus as our priest is because of who he is. Because of who he is. Look at chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. existed wow what a passage what an incredible passage we have here before we break this down I I wanna I wanna first ask this question according to this passage who is Jesus according to these five verses here who is he well notice first Jesus is the Son of God He is the Son of God in this passage We're reminded of this special relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. We're reminded of the unique bond between Jesus and God the Father here. Jesus says that he is the Son, right? In verse 1, Jesus prays to God as his Father and he recognizes himself as existing in and within this, this unique role as the Son. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God. So we learn here in verse 1 that Jesus sees himself as the unique Son of God. That's point number 1. Jesus is the Son. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, we learn not only is Jesus the Son, but we learn Jesus is the King. He's the King. Look at verse 2 again. He says, You, he's praying to the Father here. He says, you, Father, have given him, Jesus is speaking of himself here in the third person, authority over all flesh. Pretty clear, right? God has given Christ authority over all flesh, over all things. Jesus is the king. And at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3, we also learn that Jesus is the Savior. At the end of verse 2, Jesus says, That God the Father has given Him, the Son, power to grant eternal life. So Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who has come, who has the power to save. He is the one who has the power to grant eternal life. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We learn here that in order to have eternal life, you have to know the one whom God has sent, namely Jesus. So again, knowing Jesus is essential for salvation, right? Notice at the end of verse 3 that Jesus and and the the Son and the Father, God and Jesus are made equal with one another, which leads us into our final truth there. We learn here about Jesus from this passage. We clearly see here that he is God. Jesus is God. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow. Notice here that Jesus existed with the Father before the world existed. He is eternal. Notice also that Jesus prays that God will glorify him once again with the glory he had with the Father from the beginning. So we see here that before there was time, before the beginning began, God the Son, Jesus, existed in a glorified state with the Father. Do you see that there? That's an incredible statement. What a statement that is. Listen, the reason we need Jesus as our priest is because of the fact that he is all of these things. He is the one who has a unique relationship with the Father. He is the eternal Son of God. He also has authority over all things. He is the King. He is also the one, the only one, who has the power to save us from sin and death. He is the Savior. And and the most important is this last one here, that he is none other than God himself. Believers, right there is an incredible statement. That's great news, isn't it? Get this, Jesus is our priest, and our priest is God. That's great news, isn't it? It is. It is. Therefore, He is able to represent us well before the Father. He is our perfect priest. He is our faultless and flawless representative before God. And and the reason why is because of who He is. Because He is fully one of us and because He is fully God. And for that reason, He is able to fully and completely and perfectly represent us before Him. He can represent us perfectly because he is one of us, and he can also represent God perfectly because he's God. How great is that truth? We have a representative before God who is functioning and acting on our behalf, and he himself is God. We have God interceding for us. Believers, that should move us to worship. It should. I love the old hymn before the throne of God above listen to these lyrics before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and pleads for me so true so true so the first reason we need Jesus to be our high priest is because of who he is and who is he none other than God himself the second reason we need Jesus as our high priest is because of what he has done. What he has done. Look again at verse 1. John says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Notice Jesus says here, The hour come. Has come. Now, some of you have probably noticed this already as you've been reading through John. But time and time again, throughout the book of John, Jesus says, my time is not yet come. My time has not yet come. Yet here in chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, Father, it's time. It's time. The hour has come. Up until this time, Jesus has said time and time again, it's not time for him to leave and go and accomplish the work that he had been sent to earth to accomplish. But here in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says it's time. Now's the time. The hour has come. And notice here that Jesus doesn't run from this, does he? But he embraces it. Look at what he says here. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that he may glorify you. He's basically saying here, Father, do to me what must be done. Send me to the cross so that I can accomplish this work that you sent me to do so that you can glorify me and so that I in turn can glorify you. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus came to earth, folks for a reason. It's clear. All throughout the Scriptures, He came to accomplish a certain work. He came to earth to glorify God on the earth by accomplishing this work. And what is this work? Again, the work is to live the perfect life we can never live and then to go to the cross and lay His life down and then be raised so that He can secure eternal life for all of those who trust in Him. And Jesus is stating here that he is going to accomplish his task, and he did, right? And his work at the cross is what makes him such a, a great and perfect high priest. So we learn here that Jesus is our great high priest, not only because of who he is, but also because of what he has done, because of the work that he has accomplished For us and how does he accomplish this work? How does Jesus accomplish our salvation get this? This is so good folks He accomplishes it by acting as our high priest and by offering up his own life as payment for ours See in the Old Testament the priest would take a sacrifice which was normally some sort of animal, a ram, a lamb, or a goat, and they would take the animal and they would offer it in the temple. But when Jesus goes to offer a sacrifice, he doesn't go to the temple because, remember, he himself is the temple. Am I right? He said that. And he doesn't take an animal, but he goes to the cross and he offers up his own life. And when he goes to the cross, he goes As our priest and he also goes as our lamb so Jesus is is not only the one who goes to God on our behalf to offer a sacrifice for us but he himself is our sacrifice remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that's Jesus it's what he came to do, and that's what he did. He's the Lamb of God who has given his life so that we might have life in his name. That's what makes Jesus our ultimate priest because he not only is our perfect priest, but he also offers up the perfect sacrifice his own life. In the Old Testament, they were always offering up sacrifices sacrifice upon sacrifice year after year right why well they're offering them up looking forward to the perfect sacrifice they were offering them in faith looking forward to that but the reason why they had to offer them over and over again is because none of those animals could ultimately save anyone So they had to offer them up again and again like it says in Hebrews the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away your sin no animal no creature can save us there is only one who can save us and that is God and because Jesus is fully God he is able to fully and completely save us by giving up his own life so not only is Christ our great high priest but he is our ultimate sacrifice and because he has given his own life for us, there's no more need for lambs or bulls or goats or rams because he has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He has offered it up. He is God, and when he goes to the cross, he dies for our sins in an infinite measure because he himself is infinite. He is God. So hopefully you're beginning to see here already this morning why We need Jesus as our high priest. Why we need him is because of who he is and because of what he has done. Third, we also need Jesus as our priest because of what he is doing for us today. This is really what the majority of the chapter is all about. Like I said earlier in this chapter, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He is interceding for them. And he is working for them, and we learn here in this chapter that not only is Jesus praying for them and interceding for them and working for them, but he is also doing that for us as well, right? And we learn that here in this, in this very chapter. And I want to point out three things. That Jesus prays for his disciples that I believe that he is praying for us right now as believers and as a church. First, he prays for his disciples. He prays that they will be protected. And he prays for our protection. Jesus prays for our protection. This is what verses 9 through 15 are all about. Look at verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, but now I'm coming to you. And these things i speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves i have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as i am not of the world i do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one so in this passage jesus is praying for protection for his disciples Notice he says here, God, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Now, that's really what the disciples wanted, wasn't it? They wanted to leave this place and go and be where Jesus was going, but that's not what Jesus prayed. Remember, he's preparing them in this section for what lies ahead for them when he leaves. So Jesus, he he wants them to remain in the world and be lights To the world, but in his prayer, he prays that while they're in the world, he prays they'll be protected from the evil one. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? You know, when we hear protection, we often think, you know, physical protection, don't we? We do. Protection from physical danger. So one might think that the Lord Jesus is praying here, Lord, keep them safe, keep them out of harm's way, keep them from getting hurt or killed. But is that what he means here? Well, let me tell you, if that's what he means, we have a problem. Because 10 of the original 12 were put to death for the cause of Christ. So if Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that you'll keep these disciples from getting physically injured or killed. God did not grant this request in the least bit because all of the, all of the disciples suffered and 10 of the original 12 were put to death for the cause of Christ. So I don't believe that's what Jesus is praying here. So what's he praying? Well, I believe he's praying for spiritual protection for his disciples. Look at verse 13 again. Jesus says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We learn here that the key to not being overcome by the evil one, which Jesus prayed earlier, is to have... His joy in them. The joy of the Lord is is key to not being overcome by the evil one. That's what Jesus is praying for. He's saying here, may they have spiritual protection from the evil one by having my joy in them. You see, Jesus is praying that his disciples would have his joy in them so that no matter what happens, persecution or even death, they would have the joy of the Lord. They would be able to abide and remain and stay in him no matter what. And I believe this is what Jesus is praying for us today, believers. He's praying today for our spiritual protection. He's praying that no matter what happens to us, we would be protected from the attacks of the evil one by having his joy in us. Jesus is praying that we would have his joy in us so that when trials come, we would not be overcome by the evil one but abide and remain and stay in him another thing jesus prays for his disciples is he prays for them to be holy and he prays for us to be holy this is what he talks about in verses 16 through 19 let me read beginning in verse 17 jesus says this sanctify them in truth your word is truth As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus prays here for his disciples to be sanctified. He prays that they would be made holy. And for those of you all wondering what those words mean, we hear them all the time, sanctify and holy. They mean essentially the same thing. They mean to be set apart. Jesus says... Father, as I have been set apart for your purpose, I pray that my disciples would be set apart for your purpose. Now, how does this happen? How are his disciples and how are we set apart? Well, one key way Jesus shows us here is by his word. Look at verse 17 again. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth." Believers, God calls for us to be holy to be sanctified, to be set apart in the way we get there is through his word. That's the reason why you have your Bibles open in here each and every week. That's the reason why I try to be faithful to preach and teach from the word of God week in and week out. You know why? Because when we study God's word, the spirit of God speaks to us. And he calls for us to make changes where changes need to be made. And he reveals to us what we're to be doing to accomplish God's work. And guess what? That teaching goes counter to the teachings out there. So when you do that, when you open God's word, and when you approach his word with with open hearts and closed mouths, ready to hear and receive God's word, that will set you apart from the world. It will. God uses his word to set us apart, to sanctify us, to make us holy. So I believe this is what Jesus is praying for us today. He's praying this for his disciples, and he's praying that we today would continue to study his word, that we would be set apart for his service. Third, Jesus prays for them to be unified in mission. And he prays for us to be unified in mission as well. This is what verses 20 through 23 are all about. Look at verse 20 and 21. Jesus says I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me that's us believers that's us the future generation of believers through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me so Jesus is praying for his disciples That they would be one, that they would be unified in the same kind of way that he and the Father are unified. And he even looks at a greater Christian audience here in this verse, and he he prays for us the exact same thing. Now, why did Jesus want this? Why did Jesus pray for this? Why did he pray for unity? The reason why is because he wanted his disciples and the ones coming after him, us and others, to be effective in accomplishing his mission. Listen, you've heard it said before, there's strength in numbers. How many have heard that? Y'all have heard that, right? But that's not always the case, is it? Because you know, if you have disunity within a group, especially a large group, that can stifle productivity, can it? You ever been in a large disunified church? It's a mess. Disunity can cripple ministry. So what we learn here from Christ is that strength lies in unity. There is strength. In a unified purpose and you know what unifies us his word right previous point we're to be unified around truth the truth of God's Word so that is that is key so this is what Jesus is praying for as well he's praying that his disciples and future generations of believers would be unified so that they in turn can make an impact in this world for his sake and advance his kingdom Notice verse 21. Jesus prays that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays here that God's people would be one like he and the Father are one so that they, so that we can minister effectively to the unbelieving and watching world. So we're supposed to be unified, believers. And I believe Jesus is praying this for us right now, that we as a church would be unified so that we can be effective in ministering in this community and beyond. Believers, how awesome is it to know that Jesus is praying this kind of caliber prayer today? We don't often think about the work that Christ is doing for us right now at present, do we? We often think about the work he's done for us or the work that he he will do for us one day in the future. But we often don't think about the work that he's doing for us at present. But Scripture is clear. Jesus is working for us right now as we speak. He's at work right now at present interceding for us he's at the right hand of God right now and he is currently functioning as our priest right now Jesus is working for you right now Jesus is working for me right now he is interceding for us right now this is so encouraging if you're trusting in Christ this morning if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus if you know him know this you have a priest who is supreme who is fully God and fully man, who is interceding on your behalf right now. He is standing before God for you at this very moment. So we need Jesus as our priest, don't we? We need it because of who he is. We need it because of what he has done. We need it because of what he is doing right now. And lastly, fourthly, the fourth reason we need Jesus as our high priest is because of what he will do for us in the future. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also... Now, that they also... Let's stop there for a minute. Once again, he's referring to the larger Christian audience... This refers to the larger Christian audience Jesus is praying for. He goes beyond his disciples to pray for us. He says, Father, I desire that they also, you and I, folks, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here we see that Jesus is praying for his greater Christian audience, this future group of believers, us. Those who who have and will believe in him and have life in his name. And he says, my prayer is that one day in the future, those who are going to trust in me and follow me will be with me and witness my future glory. I believe Jesus is praying here for future believers. That they would see him when he returns in his exalted state glory I think he's referring here to his final return his second coming when he comes back as the king folks the king is coming do you know that he is Jesus is returning as the king we often forget this don't we because though right now though Jesus is the king there are times when it doesn't look like it if we're honest we still live in a world that is fallen and broken and ruined and messed up because of sin. We still live in a world that doesn't look very redeemed. It still looks very broken. We still live in a world where we're surrounded by people who are not looking to Jesus as the king. We still live in a world where we're surrounded by people who are not bowing the knee to Jesus as king. But believe me when I say this, folks, one day everyone will. There's coming a day when the king, our king, King Jesus is going to return, and the world is going to bow the knee to Him. Now, some will bow in terror as judgment awaits, but we as believers will bow in joyful anticipation of what awaits for us, spending eternity in the presence of the Lord and worshiping Him. But there's coming a day when Jesus is going to be seen and worship for the king that he is. One day he's going to return and all things are going to be subjected to him the way they were supposed to be. It's what Jesus is referring to here when when he's praying for this future group, group of believers. He's saying, Father, I pray that those who will trust in me, will one day see me in my glory as I return as the king. He's praying, Father, I pray that those who will come after me and after my disciples will look to me and trust me and follow me. And I pray that there's going to be this sweet reunion with them one day in the future. He says, Father, I pray for them that they will stand strong in the faith and abide in me and remain in me and stay in me. Believers, that's what Jesus is praying for us right now. As you continue your walk with Christ, putting one foot in front of the other, pursuing godliness, Rest in the fact that Jesus is with you every step of the way, praying for your perseverance, persevering you as you persevere. Wow. How awesome is that? So folks, again, this is why we need Jesus as our priest. We need him because of who he is, because of what he has done for us in the past, because of what he is doing for us at present, and because of what he will do for us in the future. Let me close with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like the person I explained at the beginning who's trying to go at life on your own without any sort of representation whatsoever. Maybe you're here today and you believe that you can stand before God on your own merit. Maybe you believe that the life you're living is good enough. It's going to make the grade. Folks, Scripture is clear that it's not. Like I said in the intro, Scripture is clear that we as people possess no desirable qualities whatsoever. We possess nothing that makes us worthy of God's acceptance. Therefore, we need someone else to stand for us. We need a great high priest. We need Jesus. Let's pray.